Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 friend being broken is more the rule than not and god sent jesus as the messenger of the covenant to mend broken lives with the grace of god that's pastor michael oxentenko and this is reaching your heart Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, you can call at any time, 24-7, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Someone is standing by right now to take your phone call. Today on Reaching Your Heart, Pastor Michael Oxentenko's message is entitled, The Broken Bread and the Broken Covenant. That's the broken bread and the broken covenant. Here now is our pastor teacher, Michael Oxentenko. Dear Father, we're so grateful today for the Son of God who gave himself for us. We're grateful for a cross that is our cross. And we're grateful, Father, that love was there and love is here too. And help us, I pray, in Jesus' name to know the way. Amen. You know, we live in this world. How many of you live in the world? But you're not of the world, okay? We live lives in this world that are often broken. And being broken is not the exception in life. It is the rule in life. And when lives are broken, the grace of God in Jesus is for mending broken lives. Did you hear what I just said? The grace of God is really for mending broken lives. This we have. The very first time the word broken is used in the Bible, it is used to describe what happens when the chosen people of God disregard God's law and His Word. You know, brokenness comes because of disobedience in the Bible. It doesn't come because it's just the way it is. It comes because of disobedience. Abraham in Genesis 15 was overcome with fear. But in the night, he believed the Lord. And the Bible says very clearly in verse 6, it was reckoned to him as righteousness. In the night of his fear, God made a covenant with Abraham to dispel the fear, to get rid of the fear. A smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the parts of the sacrifice. How many of you remember the story there in Genesis 15? You know, he cut the bullock in two, tore the pieces of animal in two, and there God appeared to him to make a covenant, and he passed between the parts. Now, we know why that happened. In ancient times, when you pass between the parts of an animal like that, you were saying, if I don't keep the covenant, may I be cut in two. It was the ultimate way of signing a contract. And so God passes between the parts to say, if I do not keep the covenant, cut me in two. Now we're told in the spirit of prophecy that Abram passed between the parts as well. God the Father was the smoking fire pot, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch that went between the two. Now why is God the Father a smoking fire pot? You see, in the pillar of fire and cloud, there's a part of God we can never see. The Bible says no man has ever seen God. God the Father, in a sense, dwells behind the smoke of all that is. They say, in fact, that if you go far enough in the universe with the telescope, you'll come to a zone in which it's like smoke where the light of stars cannot be seen. Beyond the darkness of the smoke resides the eternal God that we can never fully know. And yet there also was the one who was the fiery torch 
the light of the world. The Son of God was present with the Father as together they clasped hands and moved between the parts of the animal to make the covenant with Abram to say that if we do not keep the covenant, may we be cut in two. In fact, if the covenant is broken, may we be cut in two. So both the Father and the Son made a promise, a covenant with Abram. That was a high honor for Abram to be blessed in this way, that through him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And then Abram did what we so often do when we have been blessed by God. He messed up. You ever mess up? No? Come on. You ever mess up? You know, you know, a healthy dose of honesty is good for us as we worship here today. We have all messed up. That's a fundamental fact of life. Now look, God will bring us in our growth and sanctification to a time in which we will be perfect. This we rejoice in. But we live between the poles of east and west, and we're in the journey right now. And the fact is, in life, we can mess up. In the chapter that follows in Genesis 16, Abraham gave in to Sarah, who begged him to help God out a little bit by taking her slave girl Hagar to his bosom to have a child. You know, God promised a child. He did, yeah, like the stars, Abram, you're going to have children. You've got to start with one. He believed the Lord. He reckoned him as righteousness. And then in verse 6, they're scratching their heads saying, how is God going to pull that off? And so the answer is, we've got to help God out. So he believed the Lord in verse 6, but he's not so believing in chapter 16 that follows. Genesis 15, 6, he believes. But in 16, eh. You ever had an experience like that in your life where you believed real good and then you messed up real good right after? Okay. Now, we're justified by faith. It's very clear. He believed the Lord. You see, the Lord carries us in our growth and development. We are not yet home. And in the journey, we are accepted. And so Abraham was accepted as he was growing in God and he made some mistakes. So are we. In Genesis 16, he messes up. From that effort and plan that they came up with to produce a child, there was grief, conflict, sorrow, war, and strife that is with us now to this day. But friend, God has a way of making mistakes turn out to be blessings. And he has a way of making them work out in his plan anyway. So God shows up in Genesis 17, 1, when Abram messed up. And Abram fell on his face, the Bible says, because God said, I am El Shaddai, which means I am God Almighty. Now what is God saying here at the beginning of chapter 17 when he shows up after the big mess up? He's saying, I don't need help keeping my promises to you. I am God Almighty. I don't need a Hagar as a kind of fix to fix Sarah and your problem because I can fix any problem because I am the answer to questions that you don't even know how to ask and I am the solution to problems that you cannot comprehend. I don't need that. I am El Shaddai, God Almighty. You know, isn't it true in life that we experience things in our life where we question the power of God? We wonder how God's going to pull this thing off or pull that off, and then we collapse in our own weakness facing the specter of a huge problem. How can a person be blameless when they have messed up after they believe? You see, here he is standing before God Almighty, and he has just messed up showing that he isn't very mighty, and he knows what the covenant means. He passed between the parts, and God did too, and you get cut to pieces if you break the covenant. How can a person be blameless when they have lapsed in their faith and they've made a big mistake and everybody knows it, especially you? How can a once righteous man who believed the Lord be righteous after he messed up and floundered, after he had a child who became a mistake, it seems, that was never meant to be, and thus confounded the plan of God? How can Abram be anything for the future? 
Friend, God has a way of taking never meant to be children and making them his children in the plan of God. Did you know that? God has a way of taking mistakes and turning them into marvelous victories. We often forget that God blessed Ishmael before he blessed Isaac. We often forget that God had Ishmael circumcised before Isaac was ever born. Because no child of God that is related to Abram by faith or is related to him by blood or any other way is considered illegitimate in the plan of God. There's a way to work them in and make them part of the plan. So God told Abram, I'm going to put my covenant literally in you. You know, that's graphic language, especially in light of what precedes in the story. When he made the covenant, Abram put his knife into the flesh of a bullock. He put his knife into the flesh of the animals. He cut it in two. And then, of course, God passed between the parts to say, may I be cut in two in the covenant somehow if it's not kept. It happened in Genesis 15 just like that. Now, in Genesis chapter 16, he messes up with Hagar. Notice the storyline. Trying to use his flesh and her flesh to solve the problem of the spirit that only the spirit can answer. And so he tried to help out God and he couldn't do it. You know, we do the same thing. We try to use our flesh to solve God's spiritual problems in our life and we fall into the same kind of problem when we do it. So God says in Genesis 17, 4, I'm going to put my covenant literally in you. Now that could get scary when you think of the knife having gone in the animal. So just like the knife that cut the animals in two in Genesis 15, Abraham is told to circumcise the male children of his family as a sign of the covenant of grace that overcomes mess-ups and unbelief when you have let God down. That's God's answer to the mess-ups. And so Abraham circumcised his son Ishmael, and God promised him that Isaac would be born in the spring to Sarah without the help of Hagar. Friend, God doesn't need help helping us overcome. Did you hear me? God doesn't need help helping us overcome. We can overcome, but He doesn't need help helping us. He doesn't need our plans and our power to make it so in our lives. God's covenant is God's business. It's a unilateral covenant. It comes from Him alone to us with the power and the promise to make us what we need to be in the end. So God's covenant is God's business because God's promise needs no human hand to help make it so. In fact, in Daniel 2, it talks about a stone that was carved out of a mountain by no human hand. So the very first time the word broken is used in the Bible is right here in Genesis 17 because anyone who breaks God's covenant is cut off from God. That is what the law demands. Look at verses 12 to 17. We'll look at verse 17, key word. The Bible says, He that is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he that is born in your house and he that is bought with your money shall be circumcised. So shall my covenant be literally in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. And here's the key phrase. He has broken my covenant. You know, circumcision in ancient times, the Abrahamic covenant, was a sign of something greater than circumcision. You know, we can focus on the symbol here. That's not the point. Genesis 3.15 You remember the promise right there in the Garden of Eden? God promised Eve that he would send a son as the seed, the seed who is a he, not many but one. It's very clear in the context. And he who is the seed would crush the head of the serpent, and so doing his heel would be wounded, a wounded seed that is a he. Circumcision reminds us all that the promised seed is a son, and the seed is the promise of life. But the knife... 
in the covenant with Abram is the symbol of death. And so we see in the symbol of circumcision two things meeting. The seed, which is life, the promise of the Messiah. And we see the knife, which is the symbol of death, being cut off from God's people. You see, it takes death, that is the knife of sorts, to make the covenant firm so we can live. And so the two ideas that seem to be in tension meet in this sacred prophetic symbol. Because Abram messed up, and we've all messed up, Abram deserved the knife that cut the bullock in two. The knife in his flesh was not fatal that day because mercy is the greater measure of God's character because it points to the coming seed who would take the knife for us all, the great day of Messiah's mercy. Today's Reaching Your Heart with Pastor Michael Oxentenko will continue in just a moment. Please stay tuned. Don't forget you can find this message and many other messages online at reachingyourheart.com. That's reachingyourheart.com. Please also keep in mind that we are a listener-funded ministry. We so appreciate your help in keeping this broadcast on the air. 888-244-HOPE. 888-244-4673 is the telephone number to call. If you'd like to help us out with a contribution of any amount, or you can go online to reachingyourheart.com. At the close of today's message, please stay tuned. We have a special offer for you that you will want to take advantage of. Let's continue on now with Pastor Michael Oxentanko. Paul says in Colossians 3 that circumcision has meaning for the Christian, not as something to do anymore because it was like a lamb that was slain. It pointed forward prophetically to Christ, but as something to remember because it was a prophecy that teaches us what the cross of Calvary and the resurrection is all about. Look at Colossians 2.11. Open your Bibles. How many of you like your Bible? You like your Bible? I love my Bible. As you're turning to the scripture here, I have my Bible bound in nice hardback leather. I have them rip the binding off and rebind it. You know why? Because I like to hold my Bible in my hand and feel a nice, firm Word of God. Have me like a loose, flexible Bible. Come on. You do? I love my Bible. Why? Because it is the clearest avenue I have to Jesus Christ. Imagine worship and Sabbath keeping without the Word of God. What would it be? It'd be more of us and less of God, wouldn't it? So let's look at Colossians 2.11, more of God. In Him also, Paul is speaking, you were circumcised with a circumcision. How does the text read? In your Bible. What? Not made without hands. That's like the kingdom of God in Daniel 2. Without human hand, not with hands. Why? Because God's covenant relies on God's power. Now look what he says now. By the putting off of the body of flesh in the circumcision of Christ. Not relying on who you are, but relying on what Jesus has done. Verse 12, and you were buried with him in baptism. You see, circumcision points to death. The knife had a meaning in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God. But it's not just death it points to. It points to life. The seed is the promise of life. The resurrection who raised him from the dead. Verse 13, and you who were dead in trespasses. You see, Christ's death and resurrection translates into something real in our life. You who were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Here is a definitive statement. God made alive together with Him. Christ dragged you into Himself at the cross of Calvary. Christ dragged you into Himself through the tomb. And He carried you to the resurrection. And so in Christ, we have been made alive. It's huge. And how does He do that? Look at the very next phrase. This is the important point of the day. 
having forgiven us some of our sins. Is that what it says? Do you have your Bible out? Having forgiven us what? All our trespasses. That is huge for me. I need that. Abram needed it. Having canceled the bond which stood against us with its legal demands, in my translations, the handwriting of ordinances, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Friend, that which was against us was dealt with. And the grace of God, there was forgiveness at the cross of Calvary for every human being. Don't let some smart theologian tell you that this verse is not true. It is true. The Bible says that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have all messed up like Abraham did. We have all had our moments of faith and then we have messed up and proved ourselves faithless at other times. But you know, God doesn't need our power and our success to accomplish His will for us in life. He is not dependent on the outcome of our plans and His plan. Our successes do not translate necessarily into divine success. We're not the center of the universe in terms of the outcome of God's plan for us. God will work His will in spite of our weaknesses if we humbly submit to Him to bring our hearts back to God, to change the life that cannot change itself. It was true of Abram, it can be true of you. Friend, being broken is more the rule than not. And God sent Jesus as the messenger of the covenant to mend broken lives with the grace of God. Christ is the glue that puts us back together again for God. And so God told Abram that whoever breaks the covenant will be cut off. And if we look in the mirror at night and we look at it right, we must all admit that we have broken the covenant that cuts us off. That's what Daniel said in his prayer. We've broken the covenant. We've turned aside from keeping his law. In the gospel, we experience the great exchange between grace and guilt. The one who deserves to be cut off and broken is set free by the one who doesn't deserve it at all. And the one who deserves to live is broken by those who should have been destroyed. God can't change His covenant, which is His law, His character, His nature. He can't change it to save any sinner. And whoever breaks His covenant in the end, that person must be cut off. And so Jesus brought the end into Himself. He sucked final judgment into Himself as He went to Gethsemane to the cross and He absorbed the totality of God's righteous judgment on sin so that God could be righteous and forgive and restore and accept the sinner so what did he do? He took the knife that takes the life in the covenant and he let us go. And so Jesus and the Father took over final judgment at the cross. They stepped between the end and now. They brought the end to finality so the judgment of God could be the freedom of God for us. And they kept the plan, the covenant that they had made, the compact from ages and eternity that took care of the fact that we have all broken the covenant. And so they did something. They put us back together by taking care of the broken part. So what do we see in the Garden of Gethsemane on the cross of Calvary? Because their eyes can see the clearest, the character of God. We see a broken man and a broken God in the God-man who is the second Adam sifting through all our stuff and sins that we've committed and owning it as his own. Friend, we see a broken God. You know, how can God be broken? Well, you look at the cross, you see the Trinity cracked wide open. You see the deity suffering because God the Son is forsaken. He becomes the God-forsaken God, broken off from God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. My God, my God, Jesus cries. My God the Father, my God the Holy Spirit, why have you forsaken me? 
You can't tell me God didn't suffer at the divine level at the cross of Calvary. He was tormented at the cross of Calvary. Friend, Jesus died in the darkness of the cross for you. For you, broken and cut off from God. In the Bible, there are many metaphors for the word of God. The word is light. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light. The word is an olive tree in Zechariah 3. The two olive trees, the two lampstands. The word is a covenant that gives clarity and makes peace with his people. The word is both God's law and God's promise. If you look a little clearly, the word is God's name, Yahweh. But when Jesus died, he chose the metaphor of bread to represent himself as the living word that dies. The wages of sin is death, and he was the living word. And so the living word, the bread of life, was broken so we can live because of his word. We can live. We can be no longer alone, and we can feed on that word as the sole source of our life. Turn to Matthew 26, verses 26-28. Now here is Jesus' description of the covenant. You see, communion service is not just about having grape juice and bread. It's about renewing the covenant of God's grace in our lives that brings us back in heart and mind to the cross of Calvary where Jesus paid it all. Verse 26. Now as they were eating the last supper just before he died, he took bread and blessed it and broke it and gave to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. Or it could be all of it, depending on how it's read there. Drink it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Friend, Jesus is the guarantee that God keeps his word. Christ is proof that God keeps his covenant to save his people who have messed up like Abram did. We eat broken bread today at the Lord's Supper because Jesus is the word of God, the living word that was broken for us. We drink blood red grape juice today because Jesus shed his blood for us. You know, don't get nervous with that expression, Christ died for us. Because that is the most important truth we can experience in the gospel of God that saves us. Jesus said, drink it. It's for everyone. Because everyone needs the blood of Christ. And we need every single morsel of the broken bread that reminds us that God was broken in Christ. Because we need every part of God's living word in us. Christ died for the many, he says. How large are the many? How many are the many? Good question. John says Jesus is the expiation for our sins, and not ours only, but the sins of the whole world. He died for the worst sinner and the best saint. He died for Adolf Hitler, and he died for the Jews he killed. He died for Caiaphas, who led him to the cross, and he died for Peter, James, and John. Jesus died for you and me, the good and bad who come to church every week, and there is nothing in the heart of God that was so empty he could not die for everyone, whether they make it or not. Isaiah says he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of God's people. He says he bore our griefs and carried our diseases and sorrows in him. Peter says he carried them and bore our sins in his body on the tree. You know, I have a hard time carrying my own stuff in life. Do you? You have a hard time carrying your stuff? He carried it all and everyone else's too. In the Hebrew language, the word carry means to forgive. You know the famous expression, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious. 
abounding in mercy and so on. And then it says forgiving iniquity, transgression, sin. Remember that? The Hebrew word to forgive is nasah, carrying. Iniquity, transgression, and sin. Forgiveness means to be carried. He carried us on His back. When He carried the cross, He carried us on His back. The high priest would carry the names of the sons of Israel on His shoulders. He would have the stones representing them on His heart. God carried us in Christ to Calvary's cross. He cried out in the darkness of the cross, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. You know, there are sins we know of and there are sins we don't know. He died for them all. And no doubt he was thinking of Abram here who messed up after he believed. But maybe he was thinking about you and me too because we mess up at times after we believe, right? Forgive them all is his prayer. Now, he didn't forgive us just to keep on sinning. He forgave us so that forgiven people can quit sinning. But forgiveness is the key to power. See, forgiveness is that which empowers the believer to overcome. Forgive them all is his prayer. And that God did in Jesus on Calvary's cross. Thanks for listening today to Reaching Your Heart. We'll conclude the broken bread and the broken covenant the next time we get together. And we hope that you will join us. Reaching Your Heart is a listener-funded program. We so appreciate your contributions. And for a donation of any amount, we have a very special offer for you today. At a time when many people have accepted the evolutionary hypothesis, Seeing is Believing is a book that reveals the remarkable design in nature, demonstrating a mastermind behind all of creation. Where there is design, there must be a designer. Where there is intelligent design, there must be an intelligent designer. Your faith will be strengthened as you read this book, Seeing is Believing. Call today for your copy. Your donation of any size helps us to stay on the air, and we appreciate your support. Here's the phone number, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Call now, 888-244-HOPE. If you would like to listen to this message again, it is available for you at reachingyourheart.com. Once again, reachingyourheart.com. There are many messages available along with this broadcast as well. Thanks for listening today. And as always, we want you to know that we do pray that God is reaching your heart.